I know that many of you would never have assumed you'd hear me say this, but turn your Bibles to the last chapter of the book of Romans. Romans 16. As you're turning there, I quote from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, where it says, Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? It is so very difficult these days to find a faithful, loyal person. The Apostle Paul, knowing no doubt what he was facing when he was ultimately to reach Rome, begins this final chapter in Romans with a long list of commendations for faithful people. And at the top of that long list was a woman by the name of Phoebe. I think Paul, based upon what he says about her in the first two verses of this chapter, would see the proverb I quoted you as applying to someone like her. Listen to what Paul says about her in Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. The text before us is very simple. You have three parts to it. First, you have Paul's part in the first part of verse 1. Secondly, you have then the church's part in verse 2. And lastly, you have Phoebe's part in the latter part of verse 2. So you have Paul, you have the church to whom he is addressing, and then you have the person that he is referring to. And as we prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to challenge you to think with me about our own service to the Lord and to others, and whether or not we are indeed faithful and loyal. If this proverb in chapter 20, verse 6, poses the question about the claim of the loyalty of many without the legitimacy of loyalty on the part of most, then what would your claim be? If you were claiming to be loyal and faithful, would it be true? Would it be true as it fit the character of your life to claim your loyalty and your faithfulness? Of course, first to God and then to others. That's a great preparation for communion. Am I loyal? Am I faithful? 
Am I a faithful and loyal friend to those around me? Listen to the commendation of a faithful servant by Paul toward Phoebe in verse 1. The commendation of a faithful servant. He says there, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now as you might assume, the communication that would have been true in the first century and for which they would not understand at all the speed with which we communicate today was very, very slow. The first century, of course, would have meant that people in their communication would simply have had to do it mostly by mouth to mouth. There, of course, would be letters that would be written like Paul's letter to the Romans. But mostly that communication would have happened as people would have been messengers sent with a message. And I would suppose that because in the church of the first century and because of severe persecution which Paul and others were experiencing, one couldn't be sure who was to be commended as a servant of the church and who would need to be warned about. And because Paul wants to get this letter into the hands of these Roman believers, he wants to commend someone who would be able to send this particular letter. And most scholars, and especially because of some of the early church documents which say such a thing, Phoebe is apparently the messenger that Paul has decided to send with the greatest letter ever written. Can you imagine that? That you would be the person that under the providence of God, the Apostle Paul, after finishing this letter to the Romans, which he wrote, by the way, in Corinth, would give it to someone from Sincrea, which was a city near Corinth, a port city, and that this person would be chosen by God under the authority of Paul to dispatch a letter on his behalf, which turns out to be the greatest letter ever written. Amazing privilege. Christian leaders of that time would write letters of commendation and would send them with the person being commended so that they would be received by the other churches. The accommodations, of course, as you know, were not as we have them today with hotels and motels, places to stay which are very nice and comfortable. Traveling Christians at that time had very little options other than staying with fellow Christians. And if a person showed up at your door and said, I'm a believer in Jesus, would that really be true? Were they out to fleece you? Were they by opening that door and allowing them to come in, going to be robbed by such a person. And so, there was a tradition in that time that letters of commendation were received by churches in one place, by an authority or a leader from another place, commending those servants to the church to whom they were going. 
In fact, look in your Bibles at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in which Paul alludes to this practice. Because he was an apostle, of course, and the apostle to the Gentiles, only one of them chosen for that service, and for what he was doing, Paul, in essence, says in 2 Corinthians 3.1, I don't need to be commended by anyone. And my apostolic band needs no commendation. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And he says about the Corinthians for which he'd spent several years, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. You see, in that text, Paul alludes to the fact that some would write a letter of recommendation, and Paul, even himself at times, would commend others like Timothy and Titus, and now he's commending this godly woman, Phoebe, to the church at Rome, and if history is correct, he's actually sending with her the commendation not only of her life, but the commendation of the greatest letter ever written for the church at Rome. And so he commends this woman Phoebe, and he commends her well. Notice what he says about her. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. No wonder he says that she is our sister. They're about to receive this most important correspondence, And he wants them all to know that she indeed is a believer in Jesus Christ. She has the character as well as the task of sending along this great correspondence. And she needs to be received well. She needs to be affirmed. And the very fact that she is a woman, by the way, speaks so highly to me of the value Paul placed on women in the first century. As you know, it wasn't like that in the unbelieving world. And maybe even in the believing world, in some cases with their need to mature and grow in Christ, maybe the sisters of the church weren't always being commended. And what an amazing, marvelous thing that it is for Paul to commend Phoebe as our sister, our sister in Christ, to give this greatest letter ever written to a woman who is going to then deliver it to the church in Rome. I love that term, sister. If you know anything about Pastor Ray Lippig, you know that either he doesn't know your first name or he's following biblical advice. I hope he knows my wife's name, Beth. But in case he doesn't, it really doesn't matter because it is a wonderful thing that he's doing. He's following biblical practice by saying, you are my brother or you are my sister in Christ. How are you today, sister? Amen. (laughs) You should have preached this message, right? 
It's a wonderful term of endearment. This is our sister Phoebe. And notice, she's from Sincrea, again, close to Corinth, not Rome. And even though, of course, a sister Gentile church situation with the church made in Rome up of mostly Gentiles, but Paul nevertheless is saying she is our sister. It's a wonderful term of endearment. And from the actual commendation itself to his use of that very endearing term to describe her, we would do well, I think, to follow Paul's example of commending others in the faith by using terms which speak of our love for them. She is our sister. He is my brother. Let me ask you, do you do this? Maybe you don't do it as often as Ray Lippig does it. But do you do this nonetheless because you really believe that those of us in the body serving together, known as the Bible Church of Little Rock, are brothers and sisters in Christ? We have a bond, believe it or not, that goes even beyond the physical relationship that you have with your siblings. And all the more if those Physical siblings are brothers and sisters in Christ, but if they aren't, you have a greater bond with those in the body of Christ here that transcends even the physical dimension because you have a spiritual relationship with a union in Jesus Christ. Do you spend time commending or condemning your brothers and sisters? There's not much difference between the spelling of those two words, but there's a world of difference in the meaning of them. Do you speak more often of what you like or don't like about a fellow believer rather than a heart of gratitude, rather than a heart of complaint toward others that we know and who are in fact brothers and sisters in Christ? Paul did his part to commend Phoebe to the church at Rome. And we ought to do our our part. We may not always have to say sister instead of their name, but the way we treat them will show them whether or not we really believe they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. The commendation of a faithful servant. Secondly, the church's responsibility to a faithful servant. Paul did his part. He's commending Phoebe, our sister, and now he wants to show the church their responsibility to that faithful servant. Look at the first part of verse 2. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. You see, that's the church's responsibility. Paul points out two main areas in which he's commanding, commanding the church at Rome to respond to this sister in Christ, Phoebe. And the first is this, to welcome her, notice what he says, in the Lord, and secondly, to do so in a way worthy of the saints. That's the first part of that responsibility, spoken in two ways. Welcome her in the Lord and do so in a way worthy of the saints. I love the way Paul speaks of it here. Do you remember how Paul in Romans 14 and 15 says to welcome one another? 
Well, even though he uses a different word for welcome here, it's really a similar idea. He's essentially asking them for the same thing for someone inside the fellowship as someone outside the fellowship. In Romans 14 and 15, welcome one another, not to dispute over your gray area opinions, welcome them. And he says, for someone like Phoebe, you ought to welcome her. Welcome her. Again, as I said, the traveling, the suffering, the persecution, anything else that would challenge Christians living in a hostile world is to be responded to by these Roman Christians on behalf of the needy on behalf of those Christians traveling abroad. This is a solemn responsibility. And he says we are to do it in the Lord. That's how solemn it is. In the Lord. What does that mean? It means this. What they are to do toward Phoebe and others who would be commended to them is to be done as though they were doing it to the Lord of the church himself. That's right. Because they're in Christ and because these are believers who are commended as being in Christ and who by very nature are defined as being in the Lord, we ought to welcome them as such. I welcome this brother or this sister because they're in the Lord. What, a, what an amazing idea. I'm going to help them simply and only because... They are my brethren in the Lord, in union with the Lord, in a relationship with Christ. I'm to treat others in a context as though it were the Lord Himself. What a great responsibility. What a privilege. What an honor to be able to treat others in the body as though I were treating the Lord Jesus Himself. Why? Because you see, each believer is a representative of the Lord, and so they should be treated accordingly. And he says, I commend to you Phoebe. She's our sister in the Lord, and I want you to welcome her in the Lord. And notice what he says next. Well, what does it look like to treat a fellow servant like Phoebe as she ought to be treated in the Lord? He says, in a way that is worthy of the saints. Now, if you step back a moment and think to yourself, well, what does it mean to be a worthy saint? What does it mean to treat someone as when you treat them, you are being defined or described as someone who is worthy of being called a saint? What does that look like? Well, there must have been some understanding of the time because he doesn't really go on to explain it, does he? He just says, I want you to treat her as one, yourself, who is worthy of being called a saint, worthy of bearing the title, uh, worthy of bearing the responsibility. You look like a saint. Well, what does that look like? Well, whatever it looks like, and he doesn't describe it, it's something that they must have known what it looked like because he doesn't have to define it. They know what it looks like. And I suspect what it looks like is this, generous hospitality, gregarious hospitality, loving hospitality, gracious 
gregarious, loving hospitality that is so evident to everyone around you in the church and maybe even outside that this is the way they treat the brethren. This is the way they treat people that they love. The world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You are so hospitable, so kind, so service-oriented that the very definition of what you're doing now to another brother or sister in Christ is said to be worthy of a saint. Hospitality, my friends, as I've alluded to already, was a big, big deal in the first century. It still is in the Middle East. It still is in many, many other parts of the world. We've lost so much of our sense of it with our individualism and our consumerism, but in many, many parts of the world, hospitality is one of the things at the top of somebody's list for how they treat those around them. Worthiness, I suspect, simply looks, if you want really a definition like the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. How would you want to be treated? Well, then treat others like that. Do you know that hospitality in the New Testament first century church was so important? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 because it defines even the office bearer we call elder. Isn't that amazing? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says this, Therefore, an overseer and elder must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, that is a one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and apt or able to teach. You know how they would say in a list of something like this, what's wrong with this picture? I mean, I understand about being above reproach and a one-woman man and sober-minded and self-controlled and respectful and able to teach and not a drunkard and not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, managing your own household well, but hospitality for a man? Yes, And I presume that also means that that elder's wife, that one to whom he is a one-woman man toward, is helping. And they, as a couple, are seen in one way of being above reproach as so very hospitable. That's, That's an important issue if it's in the qualifications of an elder himself. I'll show you even a greater level of importance. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 speaks of the importance of hospitality even as we think about eternity. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Then this, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? You say, well, that doesn't say anything about hospitality. No, it doesn't. But it does say, since you know that the end of the world is going to come upon us like this, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And one of the ways that you describe that is 1 Peter chapter 4. Again, talking about the end of all things. Look at verse 7. 
The end of all things is at hand. In other words, eternity is coming. It's right around the corner. And even if it wasn't as much around the corner to them as it is to us, he can still say that and it's legitimate. The end of all things. Eternity is coming. It's at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, just like an elder, sober-minded, just like an elder, for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And then this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And again, you might say, what's wrong with this picture? Why, why is that there? Hospitality, I mean, I can think of a whole bunch of things that make up holiness and godliness in the present age and in the age to come as we prepare for it, but hospitality? Very, very important in the first century world. It would be something like this. The end of the world is near. Love people enough to be hospitable to them. Putting those things in juxtaposition, you, you and I are believing the level of importance about hospitality. It's at, it's at or near the top of the list. The end of the world is near. Be hospitable to one another. Love them. Care for them. And if there is any other service in which Phoebe could or should be helped, Paul says this, and help her in whatever way she may need from you. I mean, if you don't know already, implied by Paul, how to love your neighbor as yourself, and if you don't know how to actually reach out to meet her needs in the area of what it means to be in the Lord to help a brother or sister in Christ, what you know that it means to love your neighbor as yourself, you do this in whatever way she needs your help, help her. If If there is no set tradition or cultural definition that the Romans may have been aware of that they did in Sincrea that she would be comfortable with, then you find out what it is and you work toward meeting her need. Do whatever you can to help Phoebe and her needs. Now, I suppose if we come to the Lord's table, we could ask a series of questions like this. Do I attempt to help, assist, minister to, love other Christians in whatever way I can? just like Paul is talking about here. Who are the Phoebes in my life for whom I could reach out, love, serve, assist? Well, what a great examination question before the Lord at the Lord's table. Do you serve others in the body of Christ as one who is worthy to be called a saint? Not a saint in the sense that you are attempting to be angelic, not a saint in the sense that you are trying to be high and mighty and holier than thou, a saint in the sense that when there is a need to be met, even if that need is very humble and very necessary, even the washing of the saint's feet, even the meeting of some menial task, do you attempt to meet that need? What an examination question before the communion table. And I don't think these are merely throwaway phrases in Paul's last chapter of benediction for the Romans. Not at all. This is not just Paul wrapping things up and just sort of throwing a grab bag, a grocery list of things. Oh, by the way, I commend Phoebe. Tell her I said hi. Commend her for her work. Serve her in some way. Let's close in prayer. Amen. This is a pointed message. This is within the canon of Scripture. 
and there is a ministry that he wants them to do diligence and to concentrate on and her name is Phoebe and she's carrying the greatest letter ever written and you ought to serve her in any way you can. Is that your mindset toward others in the body of Christ? What ought to be? It ought to be for me. It ought to be for you. And then thirdly and finally, the character of a faithful servant. The character of a faithful servant. You may have thought a moment ago that I missed a little phrase in chapter 16, verse 1. I didn't. I just want to talk about it now. Notice, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, and then he says this, a servant of the church at Sincrea. And then the latter part of verse 2, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Here's the character of a faithful servant. This is who Phoebe was. Number one, she was a person who was a servant of the church. And secondly, she was a patron of many. And Paul says, even of myself as well. So she was a servant in the home church in which she abided, and she was a patron. What do those mean? Well, you might assume that when it says that she is a servant of the church, it might be generic. Yes, well, all believers are servants in some sense, and that would be true. And that may be what Paul is referring to here. Simply using that Greek word diakonos, not in the official office sense, like a deacon with a capital D, but simply a person who was ministering to others. But there is some level of support that Paul may actually be referring to her not as a servant with a small s, but as a servant with a capital S, that she actually holds the office of deacon. And you say, well, that's not true. Well, look over at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, I think, actually alludes to what I would call the wife of a deacon or a deaconess. They didn't have that particular term per se, but I think this may be an allusion to the office of deacon that Phoebe held. That is, she's the wife of a deacon. She's a deaconess. She's the the deacon's wife. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, also be tested like the elders who just preceded this section and their need to be tested. Then let them, the deacons, serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And then notice, interestingly, verse 11, their wives... Now, that's not necessarily what the original text says, their wives. It's just talking about women there. But I think rightly so, the ESV is translating it in such a way that they're picking up on the concept that this is referring to the wife of a deacon. I don't think it's a separate office. I don't think that there were female deacons in the sense that there were male deacons and their wives and then there were also uh, female deacons and their husbands as though that was a separate office. I think we're talking here in 1 Timothy 3 about the wife of a deacon and that's why I think 
does the ESV well translate it, their wives, the deacon's wives. They likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And then he goes right back to the deacons, which is another reason why I think he's talking about a deacon's wife. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, the one who was just referred to in verse 11, managing their children and their own households well. I think what Paul might be doing is referring to Phoebe, who is the wife of an unnamed deacon. She is also a deacon's wife or a deaconess. And so if it's not referring to something as generic as just a servant, it's referring to an office, but this isn't an office of church leadership per se. It's the wife who is assisting the office of deacon in a way that that deacon deems best. That's what I think Paul may be doing here. And you say, well, what was Phoebe's ministry? Well, I think that's the second term. Notice what he says. She is or has been a patron of many and of myself as well. The word patron in some contexts has a legal basis to it. I don't think that that's what it means here. I think it simply means even what we might assume when we talk about a patron going into an establishment. What do they do, these patrons? They go in and they purchase something. They use money. I think a patron, like in the sense being referred to here with Phoebe, is a person who was a generous giver. Someone who was financially able. She might have been wealthy, She might have come from Sincrea in such a way that she was able to travel like this. She had the wherewithal. She had the financial means to be able to travel. And when she did, she blessed those in whom she came in contact, Paul being one of them. And that's why he says she was a patron of many and of myself as well. She is a real helper, especially in the financial or the material or in the supply area, she has helped us so greatly. She's helped so many and myself as well. Well, this is a great commendation and a great character of a faithful servant. And what we ought to do is once we hear the commendation coming from a leader, that's like our leadership telling you as a congregation, we want you to welcome Chris Williams. We want you to welcome this brother in the Lord. He's coming from a foreign land. He's going to bring ministry opportunities. He's going to be giving us the Word of God. He's a patron of many in a spiritual sense. And he's going to bless us. And we need to welcome him and honor him and enjoy his ministry and support him in whatever way we can. We ought to pray for him. Pray for his safe passage as was prayed in the offertory prayer. We ought to do everything we can to lift up our hearts in praise to God and in gratitude. And you know what, folks? None the least of which should be your attendance. None the least of which should be your attendance in as much as you can in our missions conference to say, we're going to welcome this man in a proper way. Are we giving like Phoebe to others? Are we welcoming others like Phoebe? Are we ourselves going to be or should be commended by others because of our character, being a giving person, being a servant of the church? No greater title. 
Greater than pastor, greater than elder, greater than overseer, greater than bishop is the title servant because even as a leader, you serve, servant leader. This must have been an amazing woman. And we would do well to emulate her example and we would do well to follow Paul's injunction. Here's the church's part. In the Lord, as a way that is worthy of the name saints, help her, help him, help them in whatever way they may have need. Well, what a great opportunity. What a faithful servant of the Lord. And that's what all of us should be characterized by. And if you, like myself, would say in our own hearts, I need to learn in greater ways how to be that kind of servant, this is a great examination question before the Lord's table. Let's bow together. Father, as this text has so aptly challenged us, how is my service? Am I faithful? Could I say like The wise old sage, many a man claims loyalty, but a faithful man, who can find? Am I faithful? Am I committed? Am I willing to serve with a worthiness that speaks of my sainthood, my holiness? Am I to do it as though I were doing it to the Lord Himself, the Lord of the church, because we're in the Lord and we're serving the Lord as the head of the church? Am I to serve in whatever way anyone has need? Father, if there's an examination to be had, This is an examination that goes right down to the heart of whether or not we're like you, not desiring to be served, but to serve. May you teach us, even through this text, even these brief two verses, what it means to serve like a faithful deaconess, like Phoebe, who gave of her time and her travel and her effort and her money, no doubt, for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the church. And may we welcome such persons. And may we be the kinds of servants for whom folks like Phoebe would want to come and fellowship with and would want to love and to be around. Oh, Lord, examine our hearts and see if we are servants of Yourself and others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.